Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Well, good morning, Liberty. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here. It's actually kind of recent that I get to say that. We've been saying that for like five or six weeks, so it still sounds a little bit new to me as well. Uh, But Denise and I are not new to Liberty. We've been around here for three years, and like I said, it is always Denise and me, so she's... uh, Um, well-known and more prominent. And I normally sit over here, right, because Denise is involved in the music and whatnot, typically, so we're able to sit together during part of the worship. And I'm rarely in the balcony, but I was up in the balcony earlier before the service started, just kind of observing and think, this feels a little bit familiar. And like, oh yeah, last fall, Denise did the teaching for Women in the Word, and so she was here before I was. So grateful to be here, grateful to be a part of this great pastoral staff and to be a part of the preaching team. And uh, as we come to the first time I get to stand here and preach, I said, okay, let's, let's sort of work our way into it. Let's not do anything weird the first time. So please turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. No, seriously, we're going to start with Leviticus. So actually, this, I think this will be a lot of fun. If you uh, have one of the pew Bibles in front of you, you'll find the passage that we're looking at on page 103, but we're going to be looking at Leviticus 25 in just a moment. Now, if you've not been with us for the last few weeks, we are about midway through a series on the Sabbath. And I hope one of the things that you've been discovering as we've been working our way through this is there is a lot more to the Sabbath than take a day off work and don't go to restaurants. As a matter of fact, those might not have anything to do with Sabbath keeping. There's so much offered to us in Sabbath, and so we are actually trying to develop over the course of several weeks what we might call a biblical theology of the Sabbath. That is to say, what does the Bible as a whole say to us about the Sabbath? And in particular, what does it say to us in the time in which we're living, as we're living here in the New Testament era? We had an initial teaching from Genesis where God created the world in six days and then rested on the Sabbath. And we saw that that Sabbath was a creation ordinance. Then in the law, in the original Ten Commandments, as God gave them to Moses, God reaches back to that creation and says, now you will rest on a seventh day. And then last week in Deuteronomy 5, we saw a repeat of the law, but this time the appeal was not to the creation order, but the appeal was to Israel's time in bondage in Egypt and a recognition that they had been delivered from that bondage and that God had graciously given them the opportunity to rest. And so he invites them in to Sabbath keeping. So for a couple more weeks, we're going to look at how that idea of the Sabbath is developed through the Old Testament, and then ultimately see how these things are fulfilled and completed in the New Testament. 
Now I realize that for some of you, when we say something about Leviticus, you think that is where Bible reading plans go to die. <laughs> like January 1st, you start optimistically, you're gonna read through the Bible this year, and Genesis is very interesting, Exodus is great, and then somewhere along mid-February, you run into Leviticus and things start to fall apart. That might not actually be the best way to read the Bible. So let's kind of back up a little bit and get a little bit of an understanding of Leviticus, Leviticus itself and where it shows up in the scripture. I think it would be helpful to have kind of a, an understanding of the backbone of the Old Testament. This might not be the order of the books of the Old Testament that you learned, but there are actually about 11 books that kind of construct the, the historical backbone of the Old Testament. Another way to put this is, hey, if you want to get a clue on the storyline of the Old Testament, read these books in this order. Read Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, and Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. And that will take you from creation all the way through to the time when the Jews were taken off to exile in Babylon. There are a couple of other historical books that come along later, Ezra and Nehemiah, but what you should understand is everything else kind of slides into those pieces. And the way that our Bibles are ordered, sometimes we feel like we're bouncing back and forth, or we don't really know where we are in the big picture. So if we go to the mall, if we go to the amusement park, first thing we do is we wanna find a sign that says, you are here. So we're finding Leviticus, you are here. It's slid in here in the middle of or toward the end of the book of Exodus. In Exodus, God gives the law to the people of Israel. In particular, he tells them to build a tabernacle and he gives them specific instructions for the construction of this tent of meeting where God will come and meet with them. And he gives them instructions on how they're to act in the tabernacle and how they are to celebrate a number of feasts throughout the year. One of the patterns that we've seen repeated and will continue to see repeated as we work our way not just through Sabbath but through scripture is we see God designating different spaces and then filling them up. God designating different times and events and filling them up. And so we saw that in the six days of creation where God creates a space and then fills it up. Here, God creates a tabernacle, if you will. Says, here's the shape of the tabernacle, and then fill the space in these ways. This is where the people gather. This is where the priest can go. This is the holy of holies where God's presence dwells. And then he establishes all these times. Here's a feast for you to celebrate. Here's a feast for you to celebrate. Here's a feast for you to celebrate. Sabbaths, weekly Sabbaths, and as we're about to see in a moment, um, celebrations through the year, and then this pattern of seven is repeated not just at that weekly level of one day in seven, but at this larger level of one year in seven. And then, as if that weren't quite radical enough, a kind of double whammy seven times seven, every seven times seven years, after 49 years, a, another celebration for Israel. And in each of these times, there is a need to stop what you're doing so that you can do this other thing. But we're missing Sabbath if all we think about in Sabbath is stop it. It's stop and fill 
Stop and fill the time, stop and fill the space with something else instead. So we come then to the text before us in Leviticus 25. The first several verses. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Oh, I'm sorry, I uh, threw off my, uh, my tabernacle pictures here. Um, we, we've got this picture of the tabernacle where God established these, these spaces. Um, one of the things we should understand about the book of Leviticus is that it, it is basically like the owner's manual for the tabernacle. It's as if God is saying, hey, beautiful tabernacle, nice tabernacle you've got there. Be a shame if something happened to it. So now that you know, now that we have the word given to us in the book of Leviticus, this is how you're to live in the land. This is how you're to use the tabernacle. This is how you're to worship God properly. And so Leviticus, these many instructions about ceremonies and dress and feasts and Sabbath years, this is an invitation to, to live rightly in the land, to live light, rightly in the tabernacle and to enjoy the blessing and the favor of God. So now we can come to the text in Leviticus 25. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourselves and your male and your female slaves, and for your hired servant and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven, so the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all the land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you in it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. It will be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. When we were discussing this text with the other pastors a few weeks ago, Daryl Kratz was mentioning that there was a, a woman he knew in a church that he had served in previously who would go up to the farmers every year and say, is this the year you're going to obey the Bible? <laughs> and she would be referencing this text and say, the Bible clearly indicates that you're supposed to not plant your crops one year out of seven. If that's all that we've got from the text, then... This text doesn't mean much to those of us who are not farmers, and it doesn't mean very, something very helpful, perhaps, even to the farmers in the group. What we do want to understand is that this instruction is, first of all, given to the nation of Israel as they go into the promised land. 
God is giving them specific instruction as to how they are to dwell in the land. You are not ancient Israel. And so I have a word of comfort to the farmers in the room. You do not have to stop planting your crops one year out of seven. But there is something here that we should understand and that we should embrace about our own lives and the patterns that we set. One of the things that we see particularly throughout Scripture is God seems to delight in siding with the underdog. God seems to delight in taking weak things in order to display his strength. In the book of Job, he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, yeah, he's got everything going for him. And God says, well, if we take this away, if we take this away, if we take this away, he's still going to love me. He's still going to serve me. When Gideon is trying to raise up an army to fight the oppressors, God says, too many people, too many people, too many people, whittle down that army, whittle down that army, whittle down that army, so that this smaller army will win the battle and the victory will be reflected to God. Paul says even, consider your own selves, brothers. Not many of you were wise, Not many of you were mighty. Not many of you were powerful. But God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. This is God's pattern. God seeks to display his greatness through our weakness. And there's a sense even in this kind of Sabbath pattern that's established here for Israel. Of course, one thing that they get is a break in their regular seasons of planting but they're not sitting around doing nothing. By the time that we're done today, we will circle back and pick up some of the ways to fill that Sabbath year or our own Sabbath rests. But God is also saying, you know what? I can provide for you every year over the course of seven years with the produce and the production of only six, right? Just like Gideon. Too many, too many crops back off a year and demonstrate that God's provision is sufficient even with that kind of limitation. Uh, now, sometimes people come to this text and like, no, I know what's going on here. We've got crop rotation. See, God is wise and he's the creator and he knows that uh, the, the, the soil needs a break. I'm sure that you all were as disturbed as I was by the April 2021 article in Scientific American entitled (laughs) Dirt Poor Have Fruits and Vegetables Become Less Nutritious? I thought perhaps they had. The article explains because of soil depletion crops grown decades ago were much richer in vitamins and minerals than the varieties that most of us get today. Had you been noticing a, a, a decline in your, the, the, the nutrients from your corn and carrots? The article continues, the main culprit in this disturbing nutritional trend is soil depletion. Sadly, each successive generation of carrot is less good for you than the one before. What can be done? 
The key to healthier produce is healthier soil. Alternating fields between growing seasons to give land time to restore would be one important step. That comes from, as I said, Scientific American in 2011. So maybe that's what's going on here in the text, is God is saying something like, hey, let me tell you a secret about dirt. It needs a break every now and then. It needs to rest. And if you let it rest for a year, then you'll get better carrots later on. Well, that sounds plausible, but if we actually continue in the text before us, uh, if we look up at um, verses 20 and through 22, we read this. What if, and if you say, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? That seems like a reasonable question if God tells you not to plant any crops. What are we going to eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? God says this, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of the old crop and you shall eat the old until the ninth year when the crop comes in. God's not telling Israel a secret about dirt. He's telling Israel a secret about himself. Here's how this is going to work. You're going to plant your crops year after year after year, just like normal. You do the same thing every year. But in the sixth year, God's going to do an amazing thing, and there's going to be a double or a triple harvest. And you're going to gather in so much that it's going to sustain you through a year of not planting. See, that is not soil depletion. That is not reduced and reduced and reduced, and finally we need to give it a break. It's right before you give it a break, there's this bursting forth of abundance. That's the pattern that God is displaying, not only in this text, but in Sabbath rest in general. Now, for the Israelites, this should have sounded familiar. This should have been something that rang a bell for them because for this time of progress in the wilderness as they've moved from Egypt through to Mount Sinai and ultimately on to the promised land, we read this in Exodus 16. There we go. Now when the dew had gone up, There was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? They did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew, it melted. On the sixth day, 
they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Today is a, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded him and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Now this is the context of God saying to Israel, grow crops for six years and then don't grow crops for a seventh year. And in the sixth year, I'm going to double up and you're going to harvest twice as much and it's going to sustain you through a season of fallow ground. Now, to those of us today, that sounds pretty scary to take such a course. But to Israel, they had experienced a daily miracle for weeks and weeks and weeks and then through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, weeks and weeks and weeks of one day's provision, 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 two days provision, nothing. One day's provision, 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 nothing, two, two days, nothing, right? They had experienced this pattern week after week after week. And maybe over the course of that, maybe they'd begun to take God for granted. Maybe they had thought that this was somehow just the way the world has to work. And they just began to think, yeah, manna falls from the sky, quail swing by, we eat them, it's great. But then God comes to them and says, now we're going to up the ante when we're going to go into the land. We're going to do this with how we're going to plant crops, grow crops, and harvest crops. The proper reaction from these Israelites should have been, this is going to be great. The God who has done this for us every day and every week, season after season after season, now he's going to do this at a meta level in the land. And for six years we're going to labor, and for a seventh year we're going to rest, and God is going to provide for our needs all along the way. This is going to be great. That's a question for you as we kind of just think about this for a moment and we sort of work out our theology of Sabbath keeping. Are you saying to yourself, this is going to be great? Or are you saying, I don't see how this is going to work? That's the invitation is to say, this is going to be great. Let's see how it's going to work. Now, in the case of Israel, of course, we, uh, the story continues. They receive the commandment, of course, but they also receive something of a warning. So in Leviticus chapter 26, in just the following chapter, uh, we, we see these verses. But if you do not listen to me, if you walk contrary to what I'm telling you, then I will scatter you among the nations. In verse 34, we read, Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. So Israel receives this warning that 
they are to faithfully keep these commandments. If they don't, then God will bring about a Sabbath on the land by intervening and will take them out of the land and the land will have its Sabbaths. So let's remember what happens with Israel. Let's go back to that backbone for a moment and look at the story of the nation of Israel in the rest of that progression and the rest of that background that we had before. We see the uh, Israelites going in to Canaan under the conquest of Joshua and the text says that when they uh, ate of the produce of the land, the, the manna stopped, right? The God's provision through that weekly provision ended. It ceased on that day and now they were the inhabitants of the land, they were the conquerors of the land, and they were eating of the produce of the land. So on that backbone, that conquest happened in about 1405 BC. I think we have a picture here of uh, this back to the backbone for just a second. So the conquest occurs in 1405 BC, and yet, if you know your Old Testament history, in 586, Israel is drug off into captivity under the Babylonians, a difference of 820 years. Now, some of you are already getting disturbed. It's like, I was told there would be no math. (laughs) Sometimes there's math. Here's the math. There was an 820-year period between the conquest under Joshua and the Babylonian exile. And so over the course of that 820 years, if you sort of do the math and think every seven years they should have taken a Sabbath, every seven years they should have taken a Sabbath, instead, what we, so we, we figure, oh, so there should have been about 117 Sabbath years that occurred over the course of that 820 years. But we read this again in the text. In Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah says, you will uh, be in exile for 70 years under the Babylonians because the land needs its rest. And the chronicler says that when when they came back from Israel, they were in exile for 70 years in order to fulfill that which was prophesied by Jeremiah that the land would have its 70 years of Sabbath rest. So there should have been 117 Sabbath years. They missed 70, which doesn't mean they never Sabbathed. But it actually seems like there were maybe 47 Sabbath years out of those 117. And that might actually be more disturbing to us. I mean, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we think, Oh, that's just idealized. We're not really supposed to do that. That doesn't really work that way. Um, God's just kind of setting up a standard that we really can't measure up to or really can't achieve. But, you know, it's a nice idea. But it looks like in the case of Israel that about 47 times they actually did practice the Sabbath year. That is, they had double harvests in the sixth year. And they said, this is great. We're going to Sabbath in the next year. And then six years later, double harvest. And they Sabbath. And God was faithful every sixth year to produce this 
doubled crop. So what's confusing to us, what ought to be confusing to us, is to understand that 70 times God produced a double harvest and yet they didn't Sabbath. How do you talk yourself into that? You start to say, well, God understands. This is an exception. We're being threatened by some neighboring armies or times are a little bit tight. Things haven't really been working out well for us. And so I think this year we can skip the Sabbath year, right? What I want you to understand is God was faithful every sixth year, every sixth year, double harvest, double harvest, double harvest. And about 60% of the time, Israel's like, eh, we're going to kind of take that for granted. We're going to ignore the, the Sabbath call of God, the Sabbath invitation of God. We're, somehow they talked themselves out of it. They said, we don't really need to do this. God has already met us. God has already provided for us. We'll get you next time, God. We'll circle around to that later on. I think that's worse than like never Sabbathing in the first place, right? Uh, instead, they, they seem to create their own system for like when they will and when they won't. This reflects a larger pattern. The false gods of the nations say to us, obey me and maybe I'll bless you. But the God of the Bible says to us, I'm going to bless you. And I invite obedience and love and rejoicing as a response. God blesses us in advance and invites us to respond to him in trust. This is not just something about dirt in the Old Testament. As we sit here today in 2023 and open and read our Bibles, in Romans chapter 5 we see this. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We're going to continue to develop a theology of Sabbath, but here's the pattern that's going to be repeated. God pours out abundant blessing before we're noticing it or even ready to receive it. In the case of Israel, a double crop in the sixth year. In our case, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't crying out saying, Lord, help us. And he says, oh, okay, I'll send you Jesus. Not just where we, while we were enemies, 
while we were actively opposed to God, he actively entered in to secure our redemption. And the promise here to the believer is to say, this same God who has so abundantly provided for you in Jesus is now inviting you into patterns of Sabbath rest. Cease working for our salvation, cease working to achieve God's favor, cease working to impress other people, cease working to earn it or to deserve it. God's already provided it. And instead, he invites us to rejoice and to celebrate in the provision that he's poured out for us in Jesus. There are applications here for how we want to think about this text. As I said, this text is given to Israel, and so we don't just sort of leap immediately to our own application and then say, all right, so I won't plant crops in the seventh year, no gardening this year. We don't say to our boss, hey, I'm not going to be in for the next year. In establishing Sabbath, God carves off some space and then he invites us to fill it. So here's what he did in Israel. We'll just take up three things briefly, but before I do that, I just want to ask you, pause for a moment, are you open to Sabbathing? Are you willing to Sabbath? If God creates the space, Are you willing to embrace it and fill it in the ways that he has provided for us? What we have here in this pattern of six and one, whether it's the days of the week or these seven-year cycles, is an attempt to create margin. Instead of living and spending at 100% of our energy, or 100% of our income, or 100% of our attention. There's an, there's an attempt here to create margin, to, to do with less, that we might take that margin and apply it to other things. Three things Israel did. We'll treat these just briefly, and then I'll be done. In Exodus 23, when the Sabbath years are mentioned, Israel is told to take their, the, the crops that are growing, these fields that are laying fallow with the volunteer corn that is popping up, that they are not harvesting, and that provision is for the poor. The poor can go and glean of these fields from your seventh year. I bet when we started a Sabbath series, you thought, how are we gonna do eight weeks on this? Don't work on Sunday, maybe don't go to restaurants. You've probably been surprised at how often Sabbath-keeping in Scripture is tied to concern for the poor. Are you open to Sabbath-keeping? One application for us is to say, how does our celebration of the Sabbath demonstrate provision and concern for the poor? Something else we see in Deuteronomy 15, as Israel keeps its Sabbath years, every seven years, they're told, now in this seventh year, 
You're going to love your brothers. You're going to love your other Israelites. You're going to forgive debts. You're going to provide for them. Sabbath resources, Sabbath time, Sabbath space is a chance for the community to celebrate one another. It's not me time. It's we time. And the Sabbath pattern is one of the community coming together. Thirdly, what we see in Israel, every seven years we're told that at the celebration of the Sabbath year, they were to read through the law from start to finish. So I'd like to announce the new Liberty Bible Church pattern that every seven years we're going to read the Bible start to finish. Actually, I hear something like that has been done around here, but we're not actually going to do that. But I do invite you to do this. This is not just a matter of ceasing, but it's a matter of filling. And so as you establish these patterns of Sabbathing in your weekly routine, in your annual routine, in your seven-year routines, or even your 50-year routines, to be intentional about the scripture in terms of how it fills your Sabbathing. What I want you to hear and think as you think about the challenges of beginning to apply this is this is gonna be great. What would it be like to meet God in the abundance of his provision and discover the greatness of the Sabbath? I also want to be clear as I conclude that this is not law. I want to honor Tim's promise that in going through the Sabbath, we are not going to be creating new rules or creating new laws. What I want you to hear is invitation. This is your God who delights in pouring out blessing on us. Blessing in the church, blessing in your family, blessing in your provision. Demonstrating his greatness very often in our weaknesses. Uh, the discoveries that in the midst of our weakness, we would not have discovered the greatness of God had we not experienced that weakness along the way. But in so doing, we discover that was great. By faithful Sabbath keeping, we had resources to help the poor. We had time and resources for one another. We devoted ourselves to the scriptures and to the apostles' teaching. This is going to be great. Let's pray. Lord, it's our desire to follow you faithfully in your word. We come to these interesting and challenging texts before us with a culture and a time far away, and yet you are eternal and unchanging, and you invite us into relationship and to communion with you to discover your abundance. And so, Lord, show us your greatness and show us the greatness of your provision. Teach us to rest that we might receive and celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.